My name is Nicholas Nicario, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. Three takes and he does the same joke. Yeah. Today, uh, we are... Right, we're not doing the frog and toad joke this time, though. Today, we are talking Algernon Blackwood's The Willows, more specifically, the graphic novel adaptation written by Nathan Carson and drawn by Sam Ford. Yes. All right, so so first off, I am not a fan of this particular story. Uh, preparing for the show did not make me a fan of this particular story. <laughs> so, uh, even so though, and and now, and now everybody has stopped listening because uh, this the Willows is a beloved story in the canon of weird fiction. It is, and it has a lot of influence on other people actually I, like. And reading it and listening to it. I, I can see the influences. I can see, you know, where this would lie in, in like the, the, in the foundations. But, you know, for me, it was really hard to get past the hitchhiker's guide to Europe. Um, beginning of it. Uh, yeah. That just kind of really, really like made my eyes glaze over, and it's just one of those things. Now, a lot of this is circumvented in the graphic novel adaptation. Yes, they they definitely float through the history of the river and traveling along the river, um, which takes up a big part of the beginning of this story. Mm-hmm. Is uh, so they can contrast. Where they, where the action, if you want to call it that, of the story takes place versus the um, kind of idyllic way down the river to that point. Right, right, and and yeah, we we kind of get this like pictorial representation of the intro, and then we get right into kind of the meaty parts. Yeah, now of the story, I, I, I will say that that part of the story. Um, to me, set up the river as another character. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the way it was described, every aspect of it's the Danube, for those of you who haven't, who haven't um, read this, every aspect of this describes the Danube um, anthropomorphically. Yes. Um, it's given a personality, <clears throat> which, which really um, helps sell what happens later on in in the story? Well, it's a, it's a pretty common device amongst anyone who writes about bodies of water, and even people who work uh, on you know growing up near Baton Rouge. You know, I, I'm used to people who work on the river, work offshore, uh, people who go into the lakes and the bayous and stuff, and and these places do have their own kind of personality where climate and weather and seasonal changes all create this kind of mood and, and 
this anthropomorphic state for that particular location. I mean, hell, we call the Mississippi Old Man River. Yeah, I was just you know, they made a that. they made a famous song about it. Old Man River. There you go. Right. Brings it to a stop. So so yeah, I that that I understand and and that part didn't really bother me. Um th- no, I thought it was clever because later on in the story, um you you it's I will say it's clever because I think it's one of the earliest examples of this. Um, it is now kind of a, a trope in weird fiction, but you have the unreliable narrator and um, did the weird stuff that goes down. Did that happen? Did it not happen? It's hard to tell, but using creating this personality for the river helps sell that it did happen. It was a, a weird event. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a certain degree of this the place itself being alive. And and throughout throughout the willows we I mean, of course, trees and plants and 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 you can really say that an ecosystem You mean just, Yeah, I suppose so. Having a having a will, having a, a bit of an intelligence Right behind it, um, but you have that kind of that kind of feel, and you know you get that a lot in in I don't think just just weird. I think you get that a lot in other forms of fiction, where places, as you said, with the river become mm-hmm. a character. Oh yeah, well, um, Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. That, what is it? The Amazon, I believe. Or yeah, that's uh, Congo. The Congo, I think. Going up the Congo. Yeah. Is uh, what is it? The yellow in in Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now doesn't really convey that sense as much as Heart of Darkness does. Right, having the the environment be a, a this personality that is against the characters. Mm-hmm. Well, we got kind of a little bit of that in uh, Jack London. Jack London. Jack, Jack London was a master of that. Yes. Um, we got a little bit of that, like I said, in the end of, uh, edge of sundown mm-hmm. with, with the buzzard. And you had that feeling of the landscape itself is out to get you. Right. Um, so, yeah. so it's, and this is one of those early instances of that, especially in something that would be considered, um, non-literary fiction. I don't know if you, I mean, I don't want to get into that discussion admit weird fiction is or isn't well i think algernon blackwood kind of exists in that uh that realm that where where all fiction was literary regardless of what your subject matter was which is which is where a lot of folks are trying to take the weird fiction direction right but now but a lot of the the pulp people Mm. um took a lot of the ideas in, in his stories, especially this one and incorporated it into their own. I mean, you could see it a lot. We just spent a, a lot of time reading um, uh, Clark Ashton Smith stories. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I had mentioned about those is that he's really good at, uh, at uh, going from a normal to a supernatural occurrence and, and having that liminal 
phase going mm-hmm. that, that you pass through. And this really, this whole story is that liminal phase. You're not passing through. I mean, you are, it's described in the story as a place where our world meets their world. That is the definition. You didn't cross over. You're just like that, that thin place. Right. And it has, it has elements of kind of that, Fey world, sort of. Yeah, like the like the dream world that Lovecraft wrote. Yeah, like the dreamlands, or or dream you know the land of the she, and and that sort of fairy story or um, right type of mm-hmm. thing. You go into the, the the forbidden part of the forest and thing you know things that are not meant for human eyes. Right. Um, but I really found that. Carson's scripting of the book really kind of up the pacing a little bit, up the I, pacing a lot. Well, you kind of have to in a comic. Well, book. yeah, he, he, it is limited to, uh, I believe, two issues. It's two issues. I think it's like twenty-four. I think twenty. It's 20 you know, twenty-five pages of text. I think. Yeah. Of pictures and text. No, so, so not, compressing not really. it, compressing it to fifty pages. Um, you have fifty, uh, roughly fifty pages of script to write, right? And and Carson does a really good job of of taking some of these long passages of description and between Ford's artwork and uh, his ability to script it, we we only get maybe you know one or two sentences of you know description or dialogue or narration at a time intermingled with with the artwork right well that's the thing is you have the artwork to support your imagery in a comic book yeah you don't need a lot of adjectives when you got when you have an art or, or you know graphic novel or whatever you want to call it um so let's talk about the art ah the art now it reminded me a lot of heavy metal i could see that it kind of reminded me of sam keith's um, Marvel Comics presents Wolverine run. Hmm. That's especially the faces, like especially in the beginning, they have these pictures. Um, it's on page four. Mm-hmm. You have these uh it, these pictures of um I guess it's a a projector. Yes that bookends the the page and it just reminds me of how Keith uh used to used to draw the 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 tiger tiger stuff from Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Now now Ford's artwork is not extremely realistic. It's very stylized. No, which is another um and called the same Keith in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff happening in the backgrounds. A lot of the the line work uh, there, there's the one passage above the undines mm-hmm. flowing under the uh, the river itself, I'm which turns sense. turns into a very striking panel of undines, just being the river itself, right? Which was which was very nice, and and the depictions of the the willows themselves. Well, it's it's very ap- appropriate. Because in the story, and to be honest, I hadn't read this story 
until I read this comic and then I had to read the story just to get context. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But in, in, in the original work, um, you get a lot of double takes, I guess. You'll see, they'll see one thing and then it'll turn out to be something else. Um, for example, they're, they're the undines, but there's also this, this um, dead body floating that turns out to be an otter. That, right. That you get twice. And it kind of bookends the supernatural occurrence. Um, so having like these passages of the river being undines really kind of hammers home that sense in, in the original story of their of you being in this liminal space where um, things aren't what they seem. And there are two explanations for any event that happens. Right. And the artwork really does a good job of striking that 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 tone. In in some cases, in merging the two truths that are happening. Um, there's there's plenty of of panels where you'll have the figures of the characters, which are drawn fairly realistically. Um. And then the, the background work will be totally psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you get, it's a nice way to juxtapose that because I think one of the, the hardest things to do has to be to take the written word and translate it to a visual medium, especially if the written word has depth to it. Mm-hmm. And whether you like the willows or you don't like the willows, it does have um, a bit of depth to it. Yes. And, and you can't, it's very hard. To, that's why, like Lovecraft, is very hard to adapt to film. I think, or or graphic novels, just because you you, you can't. The, the images are are all going to be um, something you see, something on the surface, and and you have to be able to to somehow translate something like um, having a, a a binary view of the of what's going on. By using words and pictures, and I think that um, these guys, Carson and Ford, do a really good job of that with, with the yes. uh, the way the art and the the script play off of each other. Now, you were you were talking about that you hadn't read this before. Uh, nope. We were given the, the only copy. only Algernon Blackwood read was I don't even know if I ever read any Algernon Blackwood. No, I I had not read any. I was thinking the Great God Pan, but that's mocking. Hmm. I'm surprised. I, I really am because you're you're the one my go to for pretty much having read everything. Well <laughs> um I guess it's just not it's it's not something you could just sit down and peruse through right and um I have a lot of that old weird fiction the language just it it's I have to be in the mood right it's it's very and it's just thick language, and I have to be in the mood to do it. And, and a and, lot of it is dry as the paper it's printed on. Yeah, and and 
don't get me wrong. I actually, I enjoyed the story. Um, you know, I had, did I like the ending? No, but it, I'm not a they all live happily ever after kind of person. <laughs> now, not having read the Willows prior to, prior to getting the, uh, the book, would you say that that this this adaptation of the willows would be a good introduction to blackwood for folks who maybe haven't read any blackwood mm, um yeah well it, it definitely got me to to pick it up and read it little little psychedelic art acting as a gateway drug right sort. well no um if honestly if if i had read it and um it wasn't doing its job mm mm-hmm. I would not have read the Willows. I would have just come into this cold and just talked about the comic book. Right. Um, but the comic book definitely piqued my interest enough where I, I felt a, um, you know, professionalism that I, I should have context for it. Um, and B that I, it seemed like it was kind of a cool enough situation with the comic book that I would want to read just to see how, how well of an adaptation was it was if, if anything else. Mm-hmm. In, in, in my mind, this, this is an adaptation that, uh, here we go, but we're about to lose the other half of our subscribers surpasses the original. Dun, dun, dun. And I, I've said that about a, a few things, where where an adaptation, you know, is is much more entertaining and gets the point across better for me than the original work does. Well, and I, and I, yeah, and I think this is this is a story that I I need visual for, not just trying to create the world in my head. You know, I, I could I could watch this as a filmed adaptation, and I would probably be riveted uh, reading it as a graphic novel adaptation. I you know, I couldn't put it down until I was done. But reading See, the story, trying to listen to audio, I tried both ways for a change, just to see if I could you know make it through one, and. Yeah, just couldn't just couldn't do it. It just you know, Blackwood just did not grab me with this one, and and that's well, fine like because said, because because Carson and Ford grabbed me with it. Those old weird tales, even like Poe, it's you know the like I said, the language is thick. You have to. It's not something you can just like kind of read. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Poe, but Poe can be very tedious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's the style of the time, and uh, you know Lovecraft tried to do it, um, but that's why you get like people like Howard or or um, Smith don't quite go that far with the language, right? It's a lot more readable, I guess, to us moderns. <laughs> than like like Blackwood or or well Machen actually what I read of Machen he doesn't really go over flowery with the language 
Right. Uh, the Great Black Pan was pretty like straightforward narrative. Right. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that you have to be in the mood. And when you have like two kids running around and your reading is in like that narrow window. Right. Yeah, you definitely need some definitely need some focus. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm very short on these days. Now I would say first off, returning to the artwork, that black and white is both a blessing and a curse for this book. I think um, it just would have been too expensive in color. It, more than likely, it would have been too expensive in color. I would like to see some of these panels in color. It would have to be inked differently. Yeah, just because it would just, I think it would really be insane. I mean, if you um, want to, maybe like when we put this, oh, we can't do that. Never mind. Um, just the line work alone in a lot of these panels, you would have to get rid of a lot of it to put it in color. It's just too busy. Black and white is how it has to be. Hmm. Possibly, possibly. Um, now, my biggest criticism of the project as a whole is that it is split into two volumes. Uh, I personally would have preferred, you know, getting it all at once rather than half of it and then another half at a. 2D be determined period because I you know particularly when it's only like one of two issues you know you're, you're going to forget to make it down to the shop <laughs> right um, um, and it's you know it's on floating world comics mm -hmm. puts this out so um, I, how many comic shops are going to actually carry I'm, you know what? When I go uh, next week to go pick up um, my poll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see if they have it. Right. If not, say, hey, you know, call these guys, get it into the comic shop. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, most places, most comic book shops will be more than thrilled to special order for you because. Oh, absolutely. That's what. That's what they do. That's what they do. Um, now, me, I probably wouldn't pay for single issues. Um, I would prefer just a, a, a trade that collects both issues and, and go from there. Just simply so I can sit there and read it all in one sitting whenever I feel like rather than reading half, getting up, going back across the room, because that kind of takes you out of it if you have to actually physically close a book, pick up another one, and start. Right. And and yeah. the way this is written, the way it is drawn, it really needs to be absorbed all at once. At least that's my yeah. opinion on the subject. Well, I won't argue that. But that's really, that's the only major criticism I have. But I would think that now this is just pure speculation that if this does well, and I, and I don't know like who put Carson and uh, Ford up to this what the plans are, but you could, you could, uh, uh, weird fiction stories, classics and adapt them. If it's going to be like this, 
Yeah, you could do a you could do a classics illustrated line of things like this. I mean, I know like uh, the name of the the company that does like a lot of they do longer form Lovecraft stuff, um, and they they did the King in Yellow as well. Um, yeah, which is different. It's just a different style than this. But you could like go and do stuff like the Wendigo or the Great God Pan and like that older stuff that people know the names of, but maybe people haven't read, but they know, oh, yeah, the Great God Pan, though, right? They Lovecraft used that as a template for the Dunwich Horror. Mm-hmm. Or, but haven't actually read that the story. Or kind of give Clark Ashton Smith his wish and, and do the Dark Idol run. Yeah, you know. Uh, a lot of that stuff, well, you know, Conan's been done and right. done. And, and all the, uh, I think every Conan story ever written by Howard has been adapted to, like, at least two comics, from the Marvel right. ones and then the Dark Horse ones. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, I can see I can see a series of these being done, and you, you have kind of a, a library of, you know, weird classics in visual form well, and I, that would I, be really cool I, i'd read them um it would be the other comic book that i purchase regularly mm-hmm. if, if if it was a monthly thing yeah absolutely yeah because like right now it's funny because we started this whole show to talk about comics and comics have gone so far downhill in the two years we've been doing this that i don't even like read dc or marvel anymore i can't right um, I, and the only comic I actually physically buy is uh, Usagi Yojimbo. Right. And I, there needs to be like more like, interesting comics out there that aren't A, formulaic, and B, pushing some company line. Right. So I'm... I'm these guys have my support with this if they want to, you know, go further on from just this. And that's the uh, that's the big takeaway from this is one that this is a great adaptation. Um, you know, I would probably if if when it does come out as as a single volume, I'll definitely get it and and hand it off to my kid and and let Gareth read it. Um, I'll probably introduce him to the story first. See, see what he thinks, but, but yeah, definitely get it for him. Um, and, and for myself and yeah, hopefully it becomes, uh, something, a bigger project, you know, further adaptations of the wide variety of material that's out there. Right. Um, so yes, you know, and support your indie comic artists and writers. That's right. Especially yeah. when they're also indie music performers right. and writers. And indie story performers and writers. Both these guys are in indie bands, so we should probably plug their bands as well. Um, uh, I know Nate's in Witch Mountain. Nate is in Witch Mountain. Um, and also, he wrote Star Creek, which we loved. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sam Ford is in... Um, he is a drummer as well. They're both drummers. Um, in a duo called Wizard Rifle. Wizard Rifle. 
Yes. And um, now here's like some obscure comic. It's all in the back of the comic. So okay. um, Paul Chadwick uh, from Concrete. I don't know if you ever read Concrete. We had a little stint of Concrete here like years ago when, when uh, Ryan and I first started dating. We were reading Concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, apprenticed to Paul Chadwick. Oh, nice. So th- that's like second generation indie comic. Excellent. Keeping the tradition alive. All right. So that's uh, about all we have for the Willows. Um, Give it a four-star review. Um, check it out. Uh, if you can't find it, go to your friendly comic book store and have them special for you. It's from Floating World Press, I believe you said. Yep, Floating World Comics. Oh, Floating World Comics. And you can go to floatingworldcomics.com. Yep, you can order it directly from the publisher. That helps out the artist and the publishers alike. Or you can, once again, contact your local comic book shop, see if they can get it for you. And uh, that wraps it up. That's the last show for the year. So, uh, yeah, Happy New Year. Woo! Happy New Merry Year. Christmas. Woo! Happy uh, Hanukkah. Happy Woo! Hanukkah. You know, have Merry Kwanzaa. All that good shit. Denali just, um, Diwali just happened. I almost called it a mountain. Uh, yeah. I did. <laughs> uh, Floating Work Comics is, it looks like it's a shop. Ah, well. excellent. So it's kind of like New England Comics where they, uh, where they have their own press. Nice. Yeah, so you can order directly from their website, www.floatingworldcomics.com. Awesome. Awesome. So, yep, definitely check that one out, and uh, we'll see you guys next year. Peace. Keep 30 luck points. Yeah, but you got it.